There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Thursday morning, the 11th of May. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The question everyone seems to be asking is, why is grocery inflation not dropping when inflation generally is? The government here is under no illusions. We acknowledge uh, that we're experiencing um, a period of high inflation. Uh, people saw that in their energy bills first. Thankfully, now we're seeing petrol and diesel come down, and I think we'll see electricity and gas come down in the coming months as well. And then, as is often the case, energy inflation feeds into the cost of food, the cost of production, the cost of doing business. And as a result of that, uh, families are seeing a big increase uh, in their grocery bills, uh, in the cost of the weekly shop. Um, and we know that and we acknowledge it. And deputy, we are acting. But what is being done to stop greedflation if retailers are price gouging as accused and profiteering on the back of the increase in the cost of living? Competition and Consumer Protection Commission, um, they have powers under law uh, to investigate uh, price fixing, price signalling, cartel-related behaviour. They don't require an instruction to investigate that. We have written to them already. If you have any evidence of those crimes, it's important that you provide them. One measure that could be introduced is the introduction of price caps. Price caps have been introduced so far this year in the EU in both Croatia, which had food inflation of 20%, and Hungary, which had food inflation of 50%. And let's be frank, Deputy, it hasn't worked. It's actually been quite a damaging impact on the wider economy and, crucially, society, including those at supermarkets. It is a power open to government under the Consumer Protection Act 2007. That's Minister Neil Richmond who convened a meeting of the Retail Forum yesterday, who expects prices to drop without having to control prices. The advice from the CCPC to government that Taoiseach told the Dáil yesterday is to not cap prices. We have uh, the preliminary advice. Um, read it this morning myself. It's only a page and a half. I have no problem publishing it, but that obviously will be up to them and, uh, and the Minister. Uh, and in um, the advice, uh, they caution strongly against the introduction of price controls. Uh, point out, for example, that in Spain, proposals to do so were abandoned because of the impact that it would have on small retailers uh, and retailers in rural areas in particular um, that require uh, higher margins to get by. Uh, the lack of evidence that where it's been done in France and Greece that has actually helped consumers and also the unintended consequence uh, that if you control some prices, 
other prices that are not controlled then get put up even more. Uh, so uh, very much um, cautioning against that approach, which I know... That's the Taoiseach, Leo Radker, speaking in the doll yesterday. Let's speak to Duncan Gray, Managing Director of Retail Excellence. A very good morning to you, Duncan, uh, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us after that meeting of uh, the Retail Forum yesterday. Uh, a 90-minute meeting. Uh, was anything tangible uh, to come out of that meeting? Yeah, good morning, Michael. Um, yeah, look, first and foremost, I'd say it was a very frank and open meeting. And I think the first time, really, that we've had the opportunity to sit in front of the minister for the minister to put his cards on the table and for retailers to put their cards on the table. And I think if you say, you know, what, what was the end result of it all, there was a commitment on all sides to work on this to the benefit of consumers. And, you know, it's not in anybody's best interest to find that um, consumers are struggling to pay for staple food products at the till. Um, but, you know, we've had 10 years up to 2021, we've had 10 years of price deflation, particularly in staple food products. Um, and for various reasons, you know, the pandemic and then the, the war in Ukraine, um, inflation has gone up and we all know that. Um, and you know, retailers have, have held off passing mm. those prices on. And we heard the Taoiseach make exactly that point that when energy costs go up and other costs go up, then it feeds into the cost of doing business, which is why groceries have gone up uh, in line with that. But as we've been hearing, uh, inflation in general has dropped and dropped quite significantly at that, whereas inflation in groceries uh, doesn't seem to be following. And it's very hard to understand why you can have such a, a drop in the cost of doing business uh, in line with the drop in inflation uh, because we've seen it go uh, from uh, almost 9% to 6%. They say it'll go to 4.5% and depending on whether you listen to the CSO or Kantar now, grocery inflation is at 13% or 16.6%. Yeah, and if you look at across Europe, grocery inflation is uh, well over 25% really? across the majority mm. of countries. So, uh, and certainly the ones that we do, the top sort of EU15 countries that uh, we would measure ourselves against, you know, we're, we're very much um, at the lower end of inflation uh, in these areas compared to, to those countries. So, but what, what's, cause, know, what, what, what's causing it? What, what, what's causing it to be so expensive inflation? to go shopping? Yeah, so, so basically the price of the commodities, the input price, uh, of product that is uh, you know coming through the system, so those those basic prices for food items, the basic prices of the the, the raw materials that go into manufacturing those things that, uh, for, for product to come onto shelves, those things have not dropped, so those commodity prices are still high, particularly among branded products so the big branded products from the European manufacturers uh, those are still very high, and they have not come down yet now will they come down in the future? Possibly. As, as energy costs start to, to fall, we should see those prices start to fall from manufacturers and therefore that will be passed on in the shops. This is not about retailers, you know, putting through big profits and, and greedflation and all of those things. Mm. It is simply that these input costs still remain very high. And, and equally, the cost of doing business remains high. If you look at the labour costs that uh, retailers have faced since the start of the year, minimum wage has gone up by 80 cents, statutory sick pay is in place, uh, pension auto-enrolment will come down the tracks. So those are all things together with the, the, the energy costs. And I know it has been the TBEST scheme that's helped, but the people are still taking uh, significant costs in terms of energy, which they've fixed 
in many cases. So, you know, we're not yet seeing those things filter through. When we do see them filtering through, we will see a tick down. And, you know, if you look at what was announced yesterday, Tesco's announced a 10 cent uh, reduction in the price of bread. That was followed by uh, Aldi and Lidl. Um, that's on the back of uh, reductions mm. that were announced a couple of weeks ago in dairy. Mm. Uh, I see one journalist We're writing this morning that Tesco knows which side uh, of its bread should be buttered uh, before that uh, meeting yesterday. But the accusation against you is greedflation, uh, that retailers are profiteering on the back of people's hardship. You've heard all this a million times, price gouging, that there's a cartel, that you're working together uh, to make sure that prices don't come down. Uh, Were those questions asked of you by the minister? Of of course. As I say, it was a very frank and open conversation and that all the major uh, retail chains, all the major supermarkets were in the room, uh, along with the retail representative bodies like ourselves, and clearly these questions were asked. And, you know, there was a very much a commitment on behalf of all the people in the room that we all need to work on this and we need to bring it down. But, you know, retailers have been had their margins uh, squeezed over the last few years. If you look at, you know, what, what's actually been going on in supermarkets over the last, certainly over the last 18 months, uh, there's been a big move towards own label products. Own label products retailers make little or no margin on. Um, but those have been bought out and expanded simply to uh, give customers that, that lower-priced option, mm. um, often at the expense of, of those branded products. OK, and the senior minister, Simon Coveney, the Minister for Enterprise, has said he's going to introduce new regulations which will require retailers to detail their margins. Yeah, and, and look, we'll see where that goes. I mean, I, th- I think... Um, you know, these things have been talked about. Uh, you know, at the moment, we've got a, a very competitive environment in, in food. Um, as I say, we've had 10 years of price deflation in food. Um, you know, and, and retailers do respond when the need arises. And, you mm. know, they'll, they'll delist products that they, sim- they think is simply too overpriced for the, for the marketplace. And, you know, I've had a number of conversations with retailers that are doing this, but particularly the smaller independent retailers, food retailers across the country, really have had their margins squeezed over the last 18 months. And, and many of them, you know, uh, are certainly looking for these input costs to drop in order to, to start making some money. OK, you say that yourself and the other industry representatives said to the minister yesterday that you're going to work on it. Uh, you're not telling me that you wouldn't have been working on it anyway. Absolutely, and I think you know yeah. you've, mm. you've only got to see that that that's that coming through on the price of dairy a couple of weeks ago and so on. So mm. you know these things these things are being worked. But that on, begs right? the question: What was the purpose of the meeting yesterday? Uh, I mean, realistically speaking, uh, was there anything tangible that came from it? Yeah, look, I mean, very very clearly, the minister has put on the table that he wants to see more. Uh, being done. Um, you know, there was agreement on all sides to come back in six weeks' time mm. to update on progress. Um, it's very clearly shone a big light on on, on, on the issue. Um, and, you know, we, we've all got the opportunity to put our points of view across. Did the Minister and, make an either-or situation, either the prices come down or the government will act, whether that's price caps or no. some other measure? No, no, he didn't. Um, But obviously, we all know that that is uh, an option that's open to government. Um, You know, but in terms of things like price caps, as been said there, you know, the the implications of this are right the way through through the chain, through Mm. the supply chain. And we have a very uh, open and agricultural economy in in many cases in in Ireland. So the the implications of that on jobs are through, through through the chain. It's the farmers who take the hit, is it? 
Well, I think it's it's everybody that takes a hit, frankly, if that's the case. Um, and, you know, people get squeezed again. And so, you know, as was said before uh, on your clip, just before you introduced mm. me, you know, mm. these things have been tried in other countries and they, don't, they haven't worked. Mm. And the advice from the CCPC is not to introduce caps here, uh, mm. which, which means uh, that either uh, the situation sorts itself out uh, and that your costs reduce so that you can charge less or it doesn't. Yeah, and look, you know, as I say, it's not just the input costs. There are also significant costs that are coming through that the government has implemented. There's, you know, things like the, um, you know, the issues of, of minimum wage going up and all of those things. And obviously, and it, whilst energy costs uh, have started to come down, they're still very high. Um, the TBEST scheme was introduced by the government uh, you know, back there in the budget in, uh, in September last year, um, you know, and, and, but yet that still is only giving 50% of a rebate on the increase. You know, mm. in many cases, that's tens of thousands of euro that um, retailers are having to, uh, to pay to energy companies still, mm. you know, so they, they fixed into a lot of these contracts, uh, not knowing where the whole thing was going to go last year. Um, and those costs still exist. Mm. Uh, we're getting texts all of the time from people telling us they used to pay so much for something and uh, the price is now double or triple or what it was at one stage. I'm sure retailers are getting it in the neck from customers. Absolutely. And this is, you know, if you really want to know uh, what's going on, you go and ask a, sh- a, a store owner anywhere around the country and they'll tell you that the pro- that, uh, that uh, customers are, are asking questions. And, you know, that that's the marketplace, isn't it? And that's why things do fluctuate in price. So there's a market that, you know, there's a, there's a price that people will pay at the till. And if that price is too high, they won't pay for it. Um, and, you know, therefore, we have to respond accordingly anyway. But, you know, let's take the price of pasta as an example. The price of pasta has doubled uh, to, to retailers over the last... The price we're paying to suppliers has doubled over the last 18 months. Um, the price in the shops has gone up by about 25%. So, you know, we, we are trying to keep a lid on this as much as possible. These prices were not... They, they started to tick up, actually, around the middle of 2020. Um, they were only started to passed on to consumers uh, in the middle of 2021. So, you know, retailers did hold back as much as possible, certainly during the pandemic, you know, when, when retail was an essential service um, and, and, you know, only started to pass that on when it became um, just simply uneconomical not to do so. Okay. Uh, you're... Our arguments are, are, are very strong. Uh, are you concerned that they appear to be falling on deaf ears? At least some people aren't listening. Are you concerned that there's some grandstanding going on that in terms of the politics of this, this is easy fodder and uh, people are taking a populist position against the retailers? Um, no, I'm not concerned. And the reason I'm not concerned is is inevitably these things are really important to customers. They're really important to consumers around the country. And, you know, it is right that these debates do take place. Um, I think the, uh, the narrative seems to be shifting a little bit this morning from the retailers into the producers and the farmers and so on. Um, and I think this will rumble on for some time and inevitably mm. it's going to be picked up again in six weeks' time when the, when the forum meets again. But as the Taoiseach um, pointed out, as we heard earlier on, you're being accused of criminality. Yeah, uh, look, uh, there's various bodies out there that will, uh, will, will, you know, there's plenty of opportunity with the CCPC and others to to investigate this if necessary. And, you know, certainly there's nobody coming in at the moment to retail and saying, look, there's there's cartels going on or anything like that. And that is simply 
um, you know, not not where this needs to go at all. You know, I'm saying that this is a very competitive environment. Retailers are very responsive to what uh, consumer behaviour is, and prices adjust accordingly. But equally, you know, there are 300,000 people employed in the retail industry across mm-hmm. Ireland. You know, who are dependent upon income and jobs, and therefore we need a very strong retail sector, particularly in food. Okay, Russia invaded Ukraine last February. Uh, do you believe that we'll ever see prices fall back to what they were before February of last year? Um, not in the short term. I, 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 you know, I can't say never say never, but but certainly the input costs uh, will still remain high. Um, Simply because we have got this, these issues, uh, you know, across across Europe and across the world at the moment. Um, so I can't see that coming down in the short term. I think we will start to see that food prices will start to to, to level out and will start to ease. Um, but I don't think we're into a situation of suddenly seeing uh, major decreases in the price of food on the shelves over the next year or so. Okay, that's not good news for our listeners. Probably not good news for retailers either. No, and look, you know, as I say, we're all trying to work towards mm. the same aim here. But um, you know, we equally have to be very conscious of of maintaining jobs and margins and a and a, and a successful um, food retail sector. Okay, Duncan, thank you very much indeed for joining You're us welcome, on the program this morning. Much appreciated. Duncan Graham is uh, the managing director of Retail Excellence. Michael Reed on LMFM. Thanks to John who says you can go across the border. Two litres of milk, a euro and nine cent. A pan of bread for a euro. Heating oil is one thirty nine at the pump at 69 cent a litre in the north. Now, if that's not great, you tell me uh, that uh, Southern Ireland is not a rip-off. To stay in a hotel in Bundoran, 399 euro for two nights B&B, 35 euro then for a steak. Uh, you'd have an all-inclusive holiday in Spain for it and don't say you won't. I've done seven days in Spain, two nights in a wet and boring Bundoran. Guess where I'm going? 150 a pint, four euro a bottle of white wine, 30 euro for a three-course meal. That's in Spain, of course. Now, Michael, you tell me it's not a rip-off, uh, says John. Uh, well, John, it's an awful lot cheaper, uh, but try live there and afford those prices because you'll find you're not earning as much. Deirdre says the price of everything is going up. The only thing that's coming down is the rain. Sean says uh, the biggest gouger of them all is the government uh, leaving out groceries. Uh, they charge VAT at 23% on nearly everything else. Uh, text from somebody who says uh, taking out a few coppers off bread and milk is a joke, a cop-out. The supermarkets can do what they like and they're not being held to account. Pat and Navin says, Michael, inflation on food has gone totally out of control. Serious price gouging. On Tuesday, I bought an item in a retail store for 149 On Wednesday, the same thing, 179 That's just one example. Somebody else, Tom, uh, says the supermarkets make just as much on their own brand products. To say otherwise is simply not true. Why supermarkets are continuing to keep food prices high to maintain food prices in the face of falling inflation. And Taoiseach, you have said 
said that your government expects food prices to fall. But that's simply not good enough. It's not good enough simply to express a hope or an expectation. Government must intervene. As my colleague Jed Nash has said, Fianna Fáil introduced maximum price order legislation previously. And the reality is that now consumers, citizens, residents require state intervention to ensure that prices will fall for basic necessities like foodstuffs and supermarkets. So Tishik, will you do more than just expect prices to fall and will you act now to introduce the necessary state interventions, the price controls, to correct the imbalance? The leader of uh, the Labour Party, Ivana Bakic, speaking in the Dáil yesterday, Labour TD for Loud and East Meath, Jed Nash, who she mentioned there is on the phone with us now. And a, a very good morning to you and thank you indeed. You say the government capitulated to the retailers yesterday. They did, and uh, they created a rod for their own backs uh, this week. Uh, I've been raising this issue of high grocery prices for weeks now. Uh, government have been completely blindsided, and yesterday they were absolutely schooled by the supermarket bosses. I mean, they created huge expectations themselves this week. It's all in the media, Minister Richmond and the Taoiseach himself and other ministers, that they're going to read the riot act to the supermarkets, uh, tell them to get the house in order, uh, ask them to bring prices down uh, quickly. And, and you would cap prices. You, you, you would have of maximum prices for some staple products, price caps against the advice of the CCPC? Well, we have an issue in this country, Michael, with um, competition and Competition is supposed to reduce prices for everybody. We all agree and believe that competition should do that. But where competition is working, what we need is, isn't working for consumers. What we need is strong regulation. And if, if anything teaches us, uh, if, we, if we're delayed anything from the kind of recent crisis that we've experienced around the cost of mm. living, high energy prices, high food prices, mm. uh, high, 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 high prices in terms of housing, mm-hmm. mortgage, mortgage and so on, then what that should tell us is that we have a failure of regulation in this country. We all agree that competition should bring prices down. It's not. Uh, we mm. need well, the regulator, in fairness, the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission, the CCPC, has said, would you not learn from the lived experience in Spain where they capped prices but had to abandon it because it, it was affecting small retailers and farmers? Yeah, and I haven't said ever, uh, and I've never made the case that the capping of prices should be something that uh, any government should reach uh, for immediately. It is, as I think Minister Richmond has rightly corrected, the nuclear option. But we are given expectations that, mm. uh, and, and by the way, he said he would keep that in his back pocket. No mention yesterday of threatening uh, pr- uh, price caps or maximum price. Well, he's been orders. advised not to. You were saying follow the Greek example where they've introduced price caps. The CCPC says don't. There's no evidence of it working in Greece. Uh, no, uh, the Greek government... That's what the CCPC is, says, yes. There is evidence. Now, the CCPC, remember, what their primary function is is, 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 is to do with competition, right? And in terms of their consumer protection focus, uh, Section 61 and 62 of the Consumer Protection Act, mm. which I've referred to repeatedly over the last few months, in fact, is very narrowly drafted, right? And it's deliberately narrowly drafted because in this state, we don't have a tradition of intervening in the market, even when competition, which is supposed to bring prices down, fails consumers. So if we're to learn anything from the crisis over the last few months is that our regulatory authorities, whether that's the, the, the um, uh, CRU, which regulates utilities and energy companies, whether that's the central bank that's supposed to regulate, for example, financial services, we've got high mortgage interest rates. Governments now are repeatedly going to these bodies saying, look, can you help at all? Is there anything you can do? It's an embarrassing situation mm. where government is, is, is literally appealing to supermarkets to reduce prices, and they're being absolutely schooled by the supermarkets who know themselves 
that consumer regulation in this country is extremely weak. So what we do need, Michael, is I think when this crisis recedes, in fact we need it earlier than that, is for our consumer regulatory watchdogs to be reviewed to see what teeth they require okay. we need watchdogs that are going to be able to Okay, act. so you're, do, you, you, are, you are dismissing you are dismissing the advice of the CCPC, which the government seems to be taking on board, and one of the things it's saying about what happened really? in Greece is that there were unintended consequences that if, for example, you cap the price of own brand milk branded milk goes up in price it can but what it does is provide a basket of goods for those who are low and modest incomes that they can rely on and and they know what they're going to be paying over a period of time the interesting thing that i found i'm losing you there jed i'm sorry you're pardon me um the interesting thing that i find with the government's response to this crisis is that they never look at it through the lens of the 677,000 people in this country who are living below the poverty line. There are people who might listen to this programme this morning who can't afford the basic necessities that they could rely on last year. They could pay for relatively easily. Mm. There's a range of different reasons why that's the case. They only started to take an interest in this when uh, people in Middle Ireland, you know, people who are maybe middle income, so start to complain because they feel, uh, and, 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 and all the evidence is there to suggest it, that there's a form by the big supermarket players of price gouging and maintaining high profit. And this is the point. If we're comfortable in this country with you know, international supermarkets making huge profits off the backs of hard-pressed consumers, then, you know, this, is, this seems to be the government's position. It's not my position. It's not something that mm. we can stand over. And it's something that needs to stop. And it's not something, by the way, that, you know, once prices come down over the next period of months, which I, I hope they will, yeah. that we should simply just leave aside. We should have a proper examination of this. I mean, okay. in March 2022, Michael, when we were all very exercised with the high price of fuel at the pump, uh, the CCPC decided to carry out an investigation on what was actually going on at the market. Now, to be fair, they carried out a mm. robust uh, investigation of that. They concluded that uh, there wasn't price gouging going on, there wasn't profiteering going on by uh, the retailers. Actually, what was happening was they concluded that because the international circumstances, the outbreak of war in Ukraine, which increased mm-hmm. the, the price, obviously, of crude oil, that's the reason why uh, prices were high. Okay, but there has to be a margin between the cost of doing the business well, Michael, and what businesses charge, because there's a very important point that the retailers are making uh, in relation to the cost of doing business. We had a, a text, for example, from John a moment ago talking about Spain, where it's 150 a pint, but the barman doesn't earn half as much as a barman would here, uh, so it's easier to charge less. Uh, and the retailers are saying part Part of the reason is the wage bill, the minimum wage here, who are the people who are uh, uh, in poverty uh, that you're complaining about. Uh, if they were earning less, they'd be paying less. I, I, Michael, I've got to give you an insight. Uh, I chaired the retail forum for two years. I had to set it up. It was never actually about prices. It's an important body, uh, but a consultative forum, not a statutory forum to bring very significant employers in the private sector are together to look at how they can make the retail offering better, how they can ensure, for example, you know, retail people have kind of kind of careers in retail, uh, so on and so forth. Any suggestions I made, and you know I made them, and you know I delivered on higher minimum wages, they absolutely opposed. We're hearing this whinge all the time from supermarkets about their bottom line, but what they don't do, Michael, is actually publish their profits. And now, in order to move the story on, because of this embarrassing fiasco with government yesterday, Simon Coveney has now said today, and he'll see it in the Irish independent uh, and your your listeners will have read it maybe this morning that what he's doing to try to move this on is to uh, 
to force uh, uh, supermarkets in this country, the large players, to publish portions of their profits. In other words, the profits they caused in Ireland, because we know that Tesco, for example, does not separate out its UK profits from its Irish profits. That's a company that made, wait for it, two and a half billion euros in profit last year. Um, so an extraordinary set of circumstances. And one of the variables that's missing here is the supermarket profits. So are we to believe the, pro- uh, the uh, word of the supermarkets uh, and the word of government that, well, you know, the big supermarkets are mm. profiteering? I don't believe in for one minute, and I won't believe them until they actually address that what problem, if you're wrong? publish their profits and allow us to make Okay, well, let's say they publish the profits and you're wrong and we price, uh, we cap prices uh, and somebody has to pay for it. Uh, the farmers won't be happy. Uh, it shouldn't be either or. Uh, this is the point that I've made repeatedly as well. And but you can't ask the retailers to sell at a loss. The supermarkets. It suits the supermarkets, the major supermarkets, uh, to play consumers off farmers. And this has been a problem we've had in this country for far too long. We know that, and we, we've, we've a significant amount of evidence that would suggest, and, and look at the silence of the supermarkets in terms of their profits. I think that in itself is revealing. It shouldn't be a case that uh, uh, one, one sector of society has been played off another. Fair prices uh, for consumers at the uh, back end of the supply chain shouldn't mean a less than fair price for primary producers, in other words, farmers. We have actually legislation going through the doll this week uh, on a food price regulator, which will, I think, be potentially transformational for farmers who deserve and need a fair price for uh, their labour and for what it is they produce and for their investments. But that shouldn't mean that uh, customers get goosed uh, at the other end of the uh, supply chain. And the problem that we're having at the moment is nobody is standing up for the consumer. So what we want to see happen, actually, what should have happened yesterday is what happened in Greece, Michael? And I mean, the CCPC are, I think, cherry-picking certain amounts of information from the Greek scenario, from France and elsewhere, and Spain that suits the government's argument. This government has never wanted to intervene in markets. Yes, we do know that there can be inadvertent and unintended consequences, but we have an emergency at the moment. And actually, the two sections of the bill that talk about maximum uh, price orders is very narrowly drafted. And technically speaking, the CCPC, what they're saying is correct, that... Um, uh, the provisions of the 2007 Act that would allow for interventions in the market by government are very much down to supply issues. We don't have supply issues at the moment. We have a failure of competition to bring down prices for consumers. We believe in competition, but when competition fails consumers, government has to intervene. And we know from our experience, whether it be high energy costs, Mm. high housing costs, or high food. We know that uh, consumer watchdogs in this country are failing and their mandate needs to be reviewed. Well, no doubt this conversation will continue. We have to end our conversation for now, but thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. That's uh, Labour TD for Louth and East Meath, Jed Nash. Michael Reed on LMFM. You might have heard Sinn Féin's Louise O'Reilly tell us uh, the other day about the woman she was talking to who's dreading the school holidays because all the children do is eat and she won't be able to afford it. I I remember when we were growing up, if you were hungry in between meals, you were told, have a slice of bread. Uh, And when when we're not hungry, we're always hungry as teenagers, as is uh, quite often the case. And uh, five of us, five kids in the house, uh, there was bread vans pulling up to the house uh, for those snacks in between (laughs) meals, if you like. Uh, But uh, imagine uh, having uh, some kids uh, and not just uh, for the bread or whatever you give them in between meals, but the three meals and everything else that goes uh, with having children in the house and the cost of having a child and trying to do that on 29 10 a week 
per child. Well, that's uh, the payment that's given to families who have children in direct provision. Uh, it's far too low. Uh, and we're joined by Julia Hearn, the Legal Policy and Services Director with the Children's Rights Alliance. It's the Children's Rights Alliance that's saying it's far too low. And a very good morning to you, Julie. Uh, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme to say today. Uh, th- this uh, benefit hasn't increased in five years, apparently. Yes, morning, Michael. The benefit for families living in direct provision hasn't increased in five years. And yesterday we had an event looking at what the minimum needs are of families living in direct provision and the Vincentian Partnership um, for Research do what they call a minimum essential standard of living study. And they conducted one for families living in direct provision. So it took into account things that they're supposed to be provided for in their accommodation, for example, food and things like that. And still, despite that, it found that the payments being received for for families are woefully inadequate. And that, I suppose, was ev- is evident in terms of the experiences that we hear from children and young people where they know not to be asking for a snack. They mm. know not to be asking, can they go to the kids' birthday party in their class? They know not to be asking, can they go to GAA because they might not have the transport to get there? So we know the impact this is having on children's lives and they're the only children who were forgotten about in Budget 2023. Every other child in the country is going to receive a double child benefit payment in the coming weeks. These children don't get child benefit. Every other parent an increase in the rate that they get for their child. These families didn't. They're constantly being left behind and falling further and further into poverty. Why is that? Because uh, the government is rolling in it. Uh, It's trying to work out what to do with 65 billion euro uh, and uh, those double payments are one-off payments uh, which Mm -hmm. can be funded through windfall taxes like this. Indeed. I mean, it, I mean, it was shocking to us that they were the only only people left behind because we know the increase in cost of living. You mentioned bread there, and I know there's ongoing talks about the cost of things like bread and milk, but they all rose significantly in the last year, and they've been rising over the last number of years, and these payments haven't increased in five years. So why it hasn't been done, I do not know, because it's very obvious that these families are being consistently left behind. Mm. And what we see is actually that if you're, if you're a family in receipt of social welfare in Ireland, if you have a child under 12, you get 42 euro. Mm. If you have a child over 12, you get tw- you get 50 euro. For families living in direct provision, they're getting 29.80. So there's an acknowledgement by the mm. government that children cost money and that older children cost more. Mm. But there's been no acknowledgement when it comes to children living in direct provision. And there's unavoidable costs. Uh, I think you were making the point about uh, children, let's say, having dandruff. Uh, they need special shampoo or having girls in the house. They have special needs and they're all costly. Exactly. And I mean, it's even small things like, you know, we've heard over the years from parents who choose between, you know, things like who are forced to choose between, OK, can I afford an extra bo- a bottle of Calpol or can I get can I send my child to a birthday party? And I mean, all those things are so difficult for families. And I know a lot of families are feeling the pain of that at the moment. But as you said, can you imagine feeling it knowing that all you're getting is 29.80? I mean, yesterday we heard from young people who were saying that, you know, they're sometimes going without lunch when they go to college because they know that they can't afford any food that they have to wait till they come home for dinner and they're going all day trying to learn and put themselves through college so I mean what is happening on a daily basis for these children and young people and for these families is nothing short of shocking and we really need to see action as you mentioned government have a a windfall Mm. at the moment we need to see them make use of that and try and make sure some of the people who are most disadvantaged and most living in poverty aren't further left behind That's outrageous Uh, very taken aback by uh, the idea of students going all day without eating Mm.
Yeah, and and the young woman, she's only nineteen, and she's she was saying that she, she sometimes has to walk. She mostly has to walk because she can't afford to top up her leap card, so she's to walk in and out to college, and she can't afford lunch, so she's to wait till dinner time to have anything. And then she said she's living on her own here, and that actually when she goes back to her accommodation, she can't afford to go and socialise, so she's incredibly lonely. So if you can imagine how difficult that life is for that young person who's here without her family, and depending on on depending on her payment every month, every week, I mean. Mm, no, is the answer. I can't. <laughs> I honestly, I've never, I mean, I, I think I've lived through some hard times or what mm. I would have thought were hard times, but no, I, yeah. I can't imagine life in this country being that hard. Uh, what, what, what should that payment be increased to? So at a minimum, we need to see an increase that these children are treated equally. So they're not in receipt of child benefit. That is one thing that could be changed. However, in, at a bare minimum, what we need to see is that 29.80 raised to 42 euro for children under 12 and 50 euro for those over 12 to make sure they're treated the same as every other child in the country. The government then also need to look at how they can get to a point of introducing a child benefit type payment. They've committed to this in their white paper to end direct provision. And they need to look to see how they can get to that point to make sure that they're on a level playing field as every other child in the country mm, yeah and cherished equally as you say exactly yeah something we all believe in allegedly julie we have to leave it there for the moment and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the program this morning julia hearn is uh, the legal policy and services director with the children's rights alliance if you want to comment today our telephone number is 0419832000 text or whatsapp 0861800658 email michael at lmfm.ie Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Thanks to Betty texting us uh, this morning saying, Michael, kids can order what they want for dinner these days. You were talking about bread and jam. In our house of seven kids, our mum used to raffle the heel of the bread and we enjoyed every morsel of it, uh, says Betty. That's if you wanted, of course, Betty. <laughs> uh, and I don't know what you're talking about when you're talking about jam. Uh, I was talking about bread. Jam? No. Bread, yes. Bread and jam, certainly not. Uh, somebody else in touch saying, Michael, maybe we should be looking at uh, the people that supply the supermarkets, also the likes of uh, shampoo, toilet roll uh, and so on. We need more than bread, butter and milk. Uh, we do indeed, uh, but they are the staples. Uh, thanks uh, to Derricka in Dundalk uh, for texting us. I have to say, Derricka, I'm very, very impressed and flattered because Derek's uh, profile picture on WhatsApp is the LMFM logo. Really took me aback saying that. Uh, but uh, to your comment, he says, Michael, we can, can we not cap prices uh, and do it until inflation balances out or returns back to normal? Thanks, as I say, Derek, for that. Somebody else in touch with us saying, who can I report... Uh, this uh, charge to uh, that, that I'm uh, being uh, asked for in my local shop. Uh, our caller says uh, it's one sixty-five for a tin of cat food, and then there's a, another shop just up the road. By the sounds of things, uh, the same tin of cat food. Instead of it being one sixty-five, it's two sixty-seven. More than a euro more expensive for the same cat food. This is robbery. At least Dick Turpin wore a mask when he was robbing you. Thank you indeed for that. I suppose that that's the way it's meant to be and that's what competition is about and if you have those price variations you obviously if you have any sense go to the shop that's charging 165 and don't go to the shop that's charging 267 and in the free market the theory is that eventually that shop cops on and charges 165 so that it can compete because the other shop is getting all of the business. 
the problem now is that they're all charging the same and it's all far too expensive. Why? Uh, God knows uh, we're hearing all of these reasons. The accusation is that it's price gouging and that they've come together and formed a, a cartel and agreed, well, we'll charge so much for this and charge so much for that uh, because people are expecting prices to be as expensive as they are. Anyway, uh, that's the theory. Uh, our telephone number, if you want to make comment, 0419832000. That's 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. We'd love to hear from you if you want to text a message or, or using WhatsApp 0861800658. You can email michael at lmfm.ie. Now to another very serious issue uh, that has also been generating a lot of headlines. The GA is a wonderful organisation. However, it does seem to be drifting to a new corporate profit-driven model in what is an amateur sport. Recently, we've seen moves to a cashless ticket, a ticketing system. We've seen moves to preventing clubs from displaying charity logos on their jerseys, on the club jerseys. Now we have the subscription model of viewing games. And I suppose this all feeds into a view among many that the GA is becoming gentrified, keeping uh, the big classic hurling and football games behind the paywall. Government really can't Uh, discuss this serious issue as if it was a spectator at one of the matches. Will we see any real action from government to encourage the GA to remove the paywall from uh, the big GA matches? Right, uh, that's uh, Sinn Féin TD Chris Andrews asking the government to act to remove that GAA go paywall. Here's the Minister, Catherine Martin. All sports fans would like to see more games free to air, um, specifically if their own counties are, are involved. But however, as the Taoiseach has, has already stated um, this week, it, it would not be practical to broadcast all, all the games. And a lot of that is due to the, the restructuring um, in, in the last year, the length of the season being shortened. And um, so there's, there is bound to, to be fixed year congestion. Um, but, you know, ultimately... Other than those events designated for, for, for broadcast as free-to-air, the, the question of um, sporting events um, and are being broadcast and how they are broadcast is primarily a matter for the sports body um, concerned and their broadcasting um, partner. Um, and and that's, that, that's what it is. Now, there is a separate process on the, the free-to-air um, that, that is ongoing and a review process on that um, uh, commenced last year and responses to initial public consultation have been uh, analysed. Um, but given the, the impact of COVID, we, we give a year, it was paused for a Thank year, you, um, to, to allow the, the sporting organisations to recover. And I'm currently examining um, the matter and expect to progress to the next phase of the review process in the, the near future in relation much. to designating more free to air. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Minister Catherine Martin. Now, it's not just the opposition who are giving out, obviously. Uh, let's hear from Fianna Fáil TD, Andreas Moynihan. Numerous sports fans have been raising with me about, and I'm sure with many other deputies, about the digital lockout that they're experiencing with GA Go, uh, where they're unable to watch key games because of uh, not being able to set it up, uh, but also poor broadband and so many other issues. RT and GA have provided great coverage over many years of our national sports, but they don't seem to be using all the available capacity in TV channels and have seemed to be opting to put some of the key games behind an online paywall for to build that channel. GA supporters have already been hit by obstacles with cashless gates and they've dealt with that, and now they find another digital obstacle with, with the uh, GA Go. Uh, and it's not just fans for their own county, it's neutrals wanting to watch uh, other games as well. And the joint venture, how that was constructed, is also being questioned. Uh, and why other channels were not able to participate or part of the plan. Uh, will they be invited into uh, GE and uh, RT? Will they be invited into committee uh, to, to answer on it? And at this stage, what, what can be done to ensure that the, the games will be available to view? All right, uh, that's Fianna Fáil TD, Andreas Moynihan, looking for scrutiny of this deal between the GAA and RTE. Let's hear from the Minister once again. Firstly, just the management of broadcasting and commercial rights is a matter for each um, sports body. Secretary to that, the designation of major events, including sports events, is a statutory function. As I said earlier to the previous deputy, that's something that's under review currently. Um, just to say that I, I do believe it has been reported today that the, the GAA did have discussions with other broadcasters, um, um, but, but, but ultimately the, the commercial decision is for the, the GAA to make. Um, and I think also an important factor is the changes to the GAA championship structure this year. Um, more more um, matches are uh, within a compacted um, season. Um, but but, but, but I, I do believe um, the, the committee have invited the GAA Go and, and, and RTE in, in, in before them, and that will take place. All right. So uh, the Minister Catherine Martin, Green Party Minister Catherine Martin, uh, explaining that uh, the Oireachtas Committee on Sport will speak to GAA Go and RTE about what is free to air and what is not free to air. But here's a very interesting point from John Conlon in Carntown, Bally McKenney. He says, what do they mean free to air? Aren't we paying a television licence? So it's far from free. Most of what's on television is crap. I won't use the word that John used. <coughs> Excuse me. Thank you, John. Very good point. Uh, uh, there is no free to wear but uh, on top of what you already pay uh, I think they say that uh, they're expecting to make 10 million on GAA Go this year alone uh, somebody else in touch with us another WhatsApp message from somebody who says prices need to be capped this is the grocery prices again they need to be capped immediately even as a temporary measure otherwise retailers will just increase prices before reducing them again to make it look like we're getting a great deal uh, we're being totally ripped off says our caller well thank you indeed for your call 
call and for making contact with us today. Let me just repeat the numbers for you. It's 086-1800-658 if you want to text or WhatsApp. You can call 0419832000 and of course you can email michael at lmfm.ie. Now we're going to hear about another important local issue uh, that was raised in the Dáil yesterday and not for the first time. I've raised this issue first in February of last year. Many of my constituents whose principal private residents are mobile homes are living in the ice age as regards heating them. They can't afford to heat them. Uh, the homes have poor insulation and many of these residents are, are in poor health, have disabilities and also a number of them have fallen on hard times. Uh, they cannot benefit from the excellent government scheme because they don't actually have their own individual electricity meter. The energy is supplied by the park owner. They cannot benefit from the uh, exception needs payments because they cannot engage with an energy supplier which is mandatory to get that benefit. I've raised it with yourself. I've raised it with the Tornishta. I've raised it with Minister Ryan, who has direct line responsibility for it. I've raised it with the Central Statistics Office. I've raised it with the Department. I'm fed up, and Thank these people definitely. are fed up coming to me and not getting action. Taoiseach, I would urge you uh, to ensure that Minister Ryan delivers on this, because it is the Thank government's wish definitely. that they would not be living in the ice age, that they could heat their mobile homes. Thanks. I want to thank, thank Deputy O'Dowd for, for reminding me of this issue, um, and I'm frustrated about it as well, uh, because essentially people whose mobile home is their home, it, it, is, uh, it is their permanent home, um, it's where they're registered to vote, everything else, um, have essentially lost out on €600 Euros, uh, in the form of an energy credit. Um, I had hoped that an exceptional needs payment might be the simple solution to it, because it wouldn't require legislation. Um, but I, 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 I'll follow up on it again. But I, I acknowledge the injustice here and uh, keen to find a solution if we can. OK, well, if uh, the Taoiseach puts it that way, I think somebody's going to have to find a solution, aren't they? Uh, people who have lost out on that €600 Euro energy credit, Leo Vradker, they're saying it's an injustice for people living in mobile homes in County Louth. He was responding, of course, uh, to Fine Gael TD. Fergus O'Dowd. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, listeners in uh, Drogheda and uh, Dundalk may be familiar with Queens of uh, the Party because uh, they put on regular shows in Drogheda and in Dundalk. However, a show that was due to take place in Carlow has been cancelled. It was billed as a night of comedy and camp, lots of fun performances, as well as your chance to work the runway and show us your drag and not be missed show. And all are welcome, said the posters. But as I say, it's been cancelled following a number of complaints. Sherman Electric is uh, one of uh, the members and performers of Queens of uh, the Party and is on the line. Charmaine, good morning and thank you indeed. Uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, why uh, was uh, the show in Carlo cancelled? What were the complaints about? Um, well, first of all, thank you very much for having me on, Michael. Um, we weren't 100% sure. The show was booked by an outside organiser a few months ago. And um, we obviously booked ourselves, then booked the venue for the, for the event. And then everything was released, tickets went on sale, everything was all good. And then on Monday... I got a message saying that the event was cancelled from the organiser. They didn't really say much after that, so I went and contacted the hotel just to see what was happening. 
And over the weekend, they got I think like three or four messages from people. Uh, just saying stuff like, is it true that the hotel is hosting a sick drag show? Is There was another one, something about like, is children going to be going to this event? Stupid things like that. Um, then I went on to the promoter's um, social media just to see what was happening on their side. And again, it was like two or three comments that were said on that side, but much the same thing was that like, are children going to be at this event? And then there was one big long-winded complaint about mental illness or something. I, I didn't bother reading this really. But... Um, the, the organiser got, I think, was a few messages as well, mm. along the same kind of thread as well, like our children okay. going to this. this well, 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 what was and the, that was basically what it was. What was the concern about children uh, attending? Is it a sex show? Not at all. Not even close to it. Um, our shows are all they're, they're basically, essentially, it's Queen's kind of lip syncing along to like pop songs and um, to whatever type of music, really, like it's 80s, 90s pop, all that sort of stuff. And um, we do like fun games in the middle of the show, like we do musical statues. Then we do like um, lip sync battles where we bring people from the audience up and they lip sync along like to high school musicals, to Dolly Parton, to mm. Rosen. Like it's, it's all good fun. There's nothing sexual at all about the show at all. It's completely over 18. It's in, it's always in bars anyway. So yeah. it's, you know, mm. they're always on at night. So children are never going to be there. But it's, it's this wave of things, stuff that's going on over in America at the moment that's just starting to creep in over here that these people, whoever it is, have just got into their heads for some reason that drag queens are out to sexualise kids and we're grooming them for something else or God knows what, but it couldn't be further from what is actually happening at mm. our shows. It's very odd uh, that people would see drag queens that way now because there's been drag queens since the beginning of time. Completely. Like, it's the same thing as saying when you're bringing your kids to the, the, the Christmas pantomime. What's the panto dame? Mm. It's a drag queen, effectively. Well, effectively, it's still a man dressed in female clothing, but he's still doing essentially the same job as what we're doing. Mrs. Brown, essentially, is a drag queen. And oh. you don't see Brendan Carroll getting the same sort of rubbish that we're getting. But he's essentially doing the same type of job as what we're doing. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. People love Brendan Carroll. Uh, and this is it. People love Panty Bliss. Uh, go back in time, Danny LaRue, Dame Etna Everich, Lily Savage. So it's, it's always been there. Like I grew up in that time of like having Shirley Temple Bear on, on, on our television doing doing Teddy Bingo. Do you know what I mean? I grew up in that time. Then we had obviously we had Lily Savage doing all her shows. As I, I remember when Lily died, I said I was telling the younger queens I was going to school in the morning with Lily doing the big breakfast at half seven in the morning. We grew up with this and there was never a problem, never an issue. People saw what it was. Mm. And now all of a sudden in the last year or so, it's just becoming a whole different thing. Right. Tell me about your audience. Uh, can, can I guess about <laughs> the makeup of your audience? I'd say it's predominantly straight females. It is. It is around <laughs> that. Now, we will be 100% honest. Right. Like mm. As you said, like we do um, we do a monthly show in the Trinity Quarter in Drogheda. We're actually there um next Friday night and then we do a monthly show where we do two shows in um, Brewbakers in Dundalk as well every month as well and all of those shows have sold out every single month since we started doing them and they're so popular with us that the Queens are actually fighting on who gets to do these shows because we enjoy doing them so much they're absolutely the audiences are just insane how fun they are I was doing a show in Brewbakers, it was a couple of weeks or the last one I did and I was physically laughing myself on stage the audience were that much fun with me it's the same in the Trinity Quarter I get such 
fun from the people that are mm. there. They're just saying and laughing back with me and you just totally get into it with them. Like, I, I, I just totally love the audiences that we have there. They're just out for fun. They're out to enjoy themselves. And even when we're going through the audience, like last time, when I was in the Trinity Quarter, I, had, I don't know how many people grabbing me at the end of the show going, thank you so much. That was the night I needed out. Thank you so much. It, it was just this. And this, that is why we do our job. It is predominantly all women who come to it. Mm. But of course, you know what I mean? If they want to bring the husband, if they want to bring the boyfriend or whoever, it's it's for everyone. We don't mind. It's it's open for absolutely everyone. Mm. Good saying fun in tights. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I suppose tights never hurt anybody. Uh, That's it. Uh, it is it a gay show? No. Like, it's like, it's, we even can't say that because we have, um, one of the queens who actually works for us is actually a straight man as well. Okay. People don't mm. know us. We don't, like, we don't go mm. around telling people who's who. And um, we have some non-binary performers who work with us. Obviously, we have one, we have a straight performer who works on the shows as well with us. Mm. Uh, the rest of us would always be gay people as well. But it's for everyone. The show is not just for one type of people. It's for everyone. Mm. We okay. don't, we don't, once you're buying a ticket and you're there and you're enjoying yourself, we don't care after that. Okay, uh, I read about this show being cancelled in the Irish Times yesterday uh, and it raises some very serious questions because of uh, the Equal Status Act and uh, uh, as to whether the show can be cancelled uh, after taking a booking. The hotel says it didn't uh, cancel the show, that it, it was uh, an independent promoter who cancelled it. Yeah, the organiser. Now, when when it was said to me, um, the organiser basically sent me um, a screenshot, an email that was sent, and it came from the hotel. But then when I got speaking to the hotel, they were saying it came from the, the organiser. So it did transpire that the, the, the organiser was the person who cancelled it after they got the few messages sent to them and everything else. But that can happen. You know, it's never happened for this reason. So this reason, just because you got a few complaints, it's completely... It doesn't make any sense. I said to the organiser, I was going, you should have spoke to me first. I was going like, I'm doing this long enough. Um, I know what goes on. I know how people act. Like people are all well and good putting up their few little comments on Twitter and Facebook and everything else, but they're not going to back them up. So like we should have been told about this. Now, of course, if you're getting something like 20 or 30 messages of abuse every single day since the since the event was organised, then there'd be a bit of concern. But it was so infrequent and so little. To me, I thought it was just a bit drastic. And we should have been given the heads up on it. At least then we would have been able to have our say about what we would have thought. Mm. Interesting you say that, uh, because we'd an interview on the programme, on this radio programme last week, about transgenderism. And I was receiving... 20 and 30 messages a, a day. Uh, many of them were vitriolic. Uh, many of them were very intimidating. Uh, many of them were completely uh, defamatory. Uh, many of them were very personal uh, and making comments uh, about people who have nothing to do with this radio programme uh, uh, or, or anything like that. And none of the comments had anything to do with my opinion, but had to do with me uh, doing a job, earning a living. Uh, but uh, you, you mentioned America and how this is feeding in here. Uh, am I right in thinking that we're talking about the same thing and that there is a campaign against transgenderism and that drag queens are being targeted as part of that campaign? Well, kind of, but flip it around. Um, it's, 
it's basically um, there's a few of the states in America at the moment are bringing in bills to effectively ban drag shows. Tennessee has already brought one in. Now, as far as I know, um, there's a block on that. Now, I'm not sure how long that block is for, but effectively what it has done is um, put a block or put a ban on um, drag shows happening in vicinities where under 18s might be near. So it's, I, I'm not 100% sure on where it is. It could, each of the states have all brought in so different Ms. types of Mrs. Brown, Mrs. Brown would be banned as... Basically, they haven't effectively said drag queens. What they have said is men dressed in female clothing, that type of wording. Mm, so yeah. that's why people are saying this. So if you think of, um, say, if Hairspray was, was on in the local theatre, who plays Edna? Because it's always a drag queen that has always played that role. Then it's the same as girls dressed, say, as Elvis on a, if they're on a hen party. Do they fall under this rule as well? So it's, it's left open as, as, as very in how you interpret it. But because they're effectively trying these, um, they're effectively trying to ban the drag shows. Trans people have been targeted under it as well because there's parts of the rule in I think it's in Florida. I'm not 100 percent sure. Mm. It's either Florida or Kentucky that um, a person walking down the street dressed as the opposite sex to what they have been assigned as birth mm. could be put in jail. Now, if you're a trans person who is going through a transition and may not legally have those documents assigned to the gender you're going to, you're the person who could be in trouble on something like that. Mm. It's, it's, it, what it is, is they, they, they're targeting the drag acts and the and the drag side of stuff, but the trans people are getting caught up in it, which is absolutely ridiculous because it should not be happening. It's it, it's absolutely mind boggling that something mm. like this is even happening. But I think it is a case that um, there's always been trans people, always. It's not something new. It's not some crazy little new phase, or whatever. There's always been trans people. It's just the fact that there is so many now being able to find their voice. Um, be more public mm. and there's trans people who are becoming more famous and celebrity like so it's, it, it's becoming more in the public eye and so many people are just not able to understand it they're not able to cope with it so of course they lash out instead of just they're afraid of it but do you understand why they're afraid of it I do and I don't like at, at the end of the, the way I've always seen these things for myself is if it doesn't affect me, it's none of my business. Mm. I, I, it's not my, it's not my life story. It's not mm. my journey. I know a lot of trans people, and I know trans people that have, I've, I've known them from when they've transitioned. And when you see the difference in that person, and when you speak to them, and you see the journey they go on, it opens your eyes to a whole different um, way of thinking, and, and and seeing that person actually go through it until they find their, 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 their new true mm. self. And I think it's just that people are scared. They mm. think it's a new a new found phase or, or some ridiculous thing like mm. this and they just don't understand it. Okay, I, I was asking you through the course of uh, the questions about um, sexual orientation and gender uh, as to whether the shows uh, were for the gay community or as to whether the performers were transgenders or necessarily transgenders. Uh, uh, transgenders uh, because we have laws the sexual uh, the the offence uh, uh, the <laughs> I beg your pardon um 
the um, uh, the law um, on equality, the Equal Status Act, uh, that would prevent uh, a show from being cancelled under the Equal Status Act uh, because of sexual orientation or uh, because of gender. And we've new laws coming in uh, as well, hate speech legislation, uh, which people are very opposed to because they believe that they should be able to speak uh, against transgenders. Um, what's the situation with the show? Is that it as far as you're concerned? You won't be performing in Carlo? Well, the show's been cancelled, so it's it's not going ahead. And like the way we are, we have um, like our our main business is say predominantly hen parties and birthdays and and appearances like that. So like we obviously have then have the shows that we do in um, Trinity Quarter and Brewbeckers already booked in. So Queens are assigned out to do all these shows. Now when we get bookings like this, um, Queens get assigned over to do those. But because that booking has now been gone and cancelled, the Queens that were working on that now have other gigs that they're moving on to and doing instead. Mm. So, do you know what I mean? For us, yep. that gig is finished, it's moved on. Um, if, if it comes back, I do know, now we haven't heard from and um, we haven't heard much from the organisers since, but apparently they are hoping to find another venue to try and do another type of a show. So, look, if it comes back that we're we're rebooked to do another show, of course we're going to go. And um, we don't we don't turn down bookings. That's this is our job. We're here to entertain. We're here to bring happiness. We're here to spread joy, and that is what we're going to do. This is our job. This is our livelihood. This is what we're going to do. So of course, like like we work in Carlo loads. As I was saying, um, I did an interview yesterday, and I was saying this is not us on a on a, a passion spree against Carlo. Like we work in Carlo lots, doing like private bookings and on hen parties and birthdays and stuff. We've done all this, so it's not that we don't want to work in Carlo. We want to work in Carlo. There's nothing on that. It just happens to host Carlo on this occasion. That's all. It's not us mm. publicly taking a stand against Carlo. That's nothing like that at all. Of course, if, if a booking comes that, that it's coming back again, okay. we will go. Absolutely not a question to All it. right, you won't be trying to uh, turn children gay. Uh, you won't be uh, trying to uh, influence them to change their gender or anything like that. You might perform uh, in tights, uh, but uh, you'll make a lot of people laugh and have a lot of fun and have a, a good time when you're back in Drogheda and in Dundalk or if people book the queens of the party uh, through your website. But there's obviously a, a small group of people who are very opposed to what you're doing, um, which is to have a, a good time, whether some people like it or some people don't, as the case may be. This is it. And with those people that have never been to a show, they've never seen what we do. It's like they've just seen some video or they've seen some picture from something and they've decided this is what happens, this is what goes on, and this is how it is, when it couldn't be further from the actual truth of what actually goes on at the shows. Okay, Charmaine, we have to leave it there. Thank you very much indeed for talking to us on the programme today. Charmaine Electric of Queens of the Party. Michael Reed on LMFM. Pharmacists are campaigning for a change in the law which would allow them to write prescriptions without a patient needing to see a GP under certain circumstances. Let's speak to Sheena Mitchell who is the owner of a pharmacy and the creator of the Wondercare Healthcare Resource as well as the Wondercare podcast series. Good morning to you once again Sheena. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme. It's not the first time you've been with us uh, about this campaign, but the campaign continues. It does. And in light of, I suppose, the UK's recent 
um, decision to allow pharmacists to have the authority to prescribe for minor conditions. And I think that's a really important point to emphasise. In no way are pharmacists looking to take on the role of the GP, but more to prioritise the GP's work so that patients can flow through what's currently a dysfunctional health system a little bit better. So if everyone is working to the optimum, I suppose, level of their own clinical training, Mm. then we allow, I suppose, easier access to the healthcare system. Okay, you worked in Scotland uh, for some time. Tell us uh, about your role as a pharmacist in Scotland and how it differed to your role here. Yeah, so 20 years ago, which is quite a frightening figure, I was able to prescribe items for patients for over-the-counter remedies and then under a slightly different legal structure we were able to provide medication that was on prescription such as chloromycetin which is a common antibiotic used for eye drops in children for conjunctivitis. So 20 years ago obviously I was only newly qualified and I was able and deemed appropriate to take on that role whereas fast forward 20 years here we are in Ireland with still very restricted role, which doesn't reflect the clinical training that we undertake. Right. It's very hard to get to see, to, to see a GP. Uh, some people uh, can't even register with a, a GP in this country because GPs are completely overrun. We hear of other people waiting two, three weeks to get a, an appointment. Uh, in Scotland, uh, as I understand it, they say that one in seven GP visits are avoided because of that arrangement with the pharmacies. Exactly. Like in Scotland, obviously, if someone comes into a pharmacy under this kind of service, the pharmacist has an option whether just to give them advice, whether to treat them with the appropriate medication or whether to refer them either back to the GP or for more severe disease into the hospital system. But in Scotland, in practice, they actually do 84,000 consultations per week in community pharmacy to which the outcome is advice only. So you can see the burden that it's taking off them. And in Ireland, obviously, look, the healthcare crisis is only going to get worse. The GPs, unfortunately, are facing a workload and workflow crisis, which, you know, is only going to be contributed to by a 46% increase in the need for their services in the next 15 years. And unfortunately, their numbers are declining. So Mm. the HSE expects a shortage of 1,400 GPs by 2025, which is only 18 months away. And then add to that our growing and ageing population. It really is time to maybe consider using the infrastructure that's already in place and to ease, I suppose, patient access to to healthcare providers by allowing new gateways to be opened. Right. Um, But don't tell me pharmacists aren't busy either. I mean, it would seem to me that pharmacists have a a huge workload uh, as it is. And people will tell you that if uh, they phone in for a prescription, they're asked to give it three or four hours uh, because uh, there's a long queue ahead of them. Have pharmacists the time to do this? And that is a very important question. And there are a few things that we are looking for alongside of this. So obviously, first of all, we want to be remunerated for these consultations and that would allow us to increase our pharmacy teams. So not necessarily pharmacists, but if you have more support staff helping you to dispense and prepare medications and you're left with the clinical role of then just having to check them, that would allow pharmacists to take a more proactive role in health, just like we did with the vaccines. I know in my own pharmacy, I took on two additional staff who were non-pharmacists 
just to help support me to allow me to do the clinical work so that all I had to do then was, you know, the end phase of preparing a prescription. Mm. There's also then we're looking for, I suppose, the use of e-health. And this is something that it has been talked about for many years. But e-health is really important and that would allow clear communication from all levels of I suppose, doctor care um, and pharmacists could feed into that. And that would allow communication using unique health identifiers, basically allowing a person to have a file in a cloud that everyone could contribute to and everyone would have access to. And this would reduce any risk of errors or any risk of, uh, at the moment, like half of our job is spent trying to communicate between the hospitals and the GPs because, unfortunately, they're not communicating well together because of a lack of e-health. Mm. And that means that we have to find out exactly what the patient is on or meant to be on because the GP doesn't know because the hospital's made changes. And all of that kind of workload is really unnecessary if we had a more robust health system. Uh, And what do GPs think of the idea of pharmacists writing prescriptions? Because prescriptions are a pretty good revenue earner for doctors, aren't they? They absolutely are. And I would say that out of all of the pharmacists I have, or all of the GPs that I've spoken to, bar one, which (laughs) unfortunately seems to be the one that I'm paired with every time there's a radio interview, but basically every GP I've spoken to and many have gotten in touch with me are in huge support of this because they are putting patient care first. So any profession who is putting their own agenda before patient need it has no place in healthcare. Like at the moment, there is no doubt that we are facing a very serious healthcare crisis. And if we do not address it, the only person who is going to suffer is the patient. And so we need to just collaborate, work together. The GPs are going to be exceptionally busy. Mm. We just want to prioritise the work they're doing by, you know, removing the work that we're able to do for them. So that, like at the moment... Only 90% of patients in Ireland have a GP. So 10% of patients are completely uncatered for. We'd like those patients to be able to actually register with the doctor and to have their needs met, their more complex needs. So, you know, it's really just about organising the system. GPs are going Mm. to be just as busy. Well, it, it, it sounds easier than it probably would end up being in that uh, this would require a change in legislation. Yeah. Now, it doesn't have to be difficult. So we saw during the pandemic that there was a lot of emergency legislation brought through and it's already been um, announced by the government that work is progressing for a minor ailment scheme with the Department of Health and the HSC. So they're already working on it. But my biggest concern about that is, A, the time frame. Like, they need to have this done before winter comes because otherwise we're going to be in a dire situation once more. And second of all, there is no pharmacist contributing to the evolution and design of a pharmacy-based scheme. So I would strongly say that we need a chief pharmaceutical officer within the Department of Health to help them to navigate the realities of how this will work on a practical level. So my fear would be that what comes out of the Department of Health and HSE is not fit for purpose, just like what happened recently with the Caravan medication. 
Thank you, Sheena. Nice to talk to you again and thanks for joining us. Sheena Mitchell, pharmacy owner and creator of uh, the Wondercare Healthcare Resource and the Wondercare podcast series. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. OK, just a, a couple of comments on uh, the drag queens. Uh, somebody says people can dress up or call themselves what they want or partner with whoever they want. No issue with that, but there is only feel male and female. Uh, Tom says uh, the drag acts are fine for over 18s, uh, but not on for young kids to be exposed to men dressed scantily, women's clothes, dancing in a very sexual way. That's the long and short of it, says Tom. Thank you indeed. Uh, well, the drag queen show that we were talking about is for over 18s only uh, and is attended uh, predominantly as uh, a lot of people might imagine or expect by women. Uh, Nothing to do with sex or anything to do uh, with uh, the gay community for that matter. Anyway, let's uh, turn our attention to something else because former President Donald Trump was on the television yesterday and Donald Trump may end up being the next President of the United States of America and the former President disgraced himself once again when he spoke spoke to a town hall on CNN uh, and he was once again peddling that fake news, false news that he won the election uh, and that false news, as you may remember, resulted in that attack on Capitol Hill. One person who was at the Capitol that day, as you know, was your vice president, Mike Pence, who says that you endangered his life on that day. I don't think he was in any danger. Mr. President... Do you feel that you owe him an apology? No, because he did something wrong. He should have put the votes back to the state legislatures, and I think we would have had a different outcome. I really do. But he doesn't have the authority to do that, as you know. What? The vice president does not have the authority to okay, reject those Are you ready? Let's have this results. one out just now, because it's interesting. Let's keep it interesting, right? <laughs> I like Mike Pence very much. He's a very fine man. He's a very nice man. He made a mistake. His lawyer said... You cannot move. I called him the human conveyor belt. I said, even if the votes, you mean, I talked to his lawyer, even if the votes are absolutely fraudulent, he can't say, yes, sir, he can't say, but, and the Democrats played it and the rhinos played it. And then the election was over. They told him he couldn't do it. And Mike said to me, I can't do it. The lawyers told me he can't do it. They can't do it. But the lawyers were wrong because right after the election, they all met the rhinos and the Democrats and they worked out a plan to make sure that future vice presidents don't do what I said you could do. That's not what happened. You're referring to the Electoral Count Act. That's I've exactly read right. I've read that. There is there is no authority. No, legal experts, me. including Republican legal experts, say that he does not have that authority, Mr. Caitlin, President. But I want to Why did on. they change the law then saying that you can't do it? They didn't change the law, they strengthened the law because they were worried about oh, presidents they strengthened exploiting. It, meaning you could do it. <laughs> Thank that's, you. that's not what it means. Thank you. They strengthened the Mike law because they were Mike had the right worried. to do it. All right, uh, let's hear what uh, Donald Trump had to say uh, about the war. Interesting to hear his thoughts given his relationship with Putin. You continue to give Ukraine money and weapons if you're elected. Um, What's the answer? I have a very good relationship with uh, President Zelensky because, as you know, he backed me up with the, with the phony uh, impeachment, impeachment hoax number one, when he said... The president didn't do anything wrong. So that I happen to like. So I happen to like. Yeah, that's weapons. right. And it, it was. I was totally exonerated. By the way, just a waste of time and money. You were impeached over that. Yeah, you were impeached, impeached over that. But let's stay on topic here, Mr. President, because the question is, would you give Ukraine weapons? I was and impeached funding? by a crazy woman named Nancy but Pelosi. But the question here the is, would you give Ukraine weapons and funding if you were? I elected? would sit down. Let, let me just put it a nicer way. Uh, If I'm president, I will have that war settled in one day, 24 hours. How would you settle that war in one day? Because I'll meet with Putin, I'll meet with Zelensky.
They both have weaknesses and they both have strengths. And within 24 hours, that war will be settled. It'll be over. It'll be absolutely over. Do you over. want Ukraine to win this war? Uh, I don't think in terms of winning and losing. I think in terms of getting it settled so we stop killing all these people and breaking down this, this country. Now, You but said you don't think in terms of winning you have and losing. To get the, you have Mr. To President, get can I just follow up on that? Because that's a really important no, excuse me, statement let me that just you just follow made up. there. Can you say if you want Ukraine or Russia to win this war? I want everybody to stop dying. They're dying. Russians and Ukrainians. I want them to stop dying. And I'll have that done. I'll have that done in 24 hours. I'll have it done. You need the power of the presidency to do it. But you but won't say that you want Ukraine to win. You, you know what I'll say? In, I'll say this. I want Europe to put up more money because they're in for 20 billion. We're in for 170, and they should an be. And they should, should equalize. The they have plenty of money. They should equalize. This is the same Donald Trump that has been found guilty of sexually assaulting E.J. Carroll. Manhattan jury found that you sexually abused the writer E. Jean Carroll and defamed her. You've denied this. But what do you say to voters who say it disqualifies you from being president? Well, there aren't too many of them because my poll numbers just came out. They went up. (laughs) This woman, I don't know her. I never met her. I have no idea who she is. I had a picture taken years ago with her and her husband. Nine people who found you liable of sexual abuse. Do you think that 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 will deter women from voting for you? No, I don't think so, because I think the whole thing, just so you understand, ready? I never met this woman. I never saw this woman. What kind of a woman meets somebody and brings them up and within minutes you're playing hanky-panky in a dressing room, okay? (laughs) I don't know if she was married then or not. John Johnson, I feel sorry for you, John Johnson. Mr. President, can I... No, but they they did, they found... Say what they... They they said he didn't rape her. And I didn't do anything else either. You know what? Because I have no idea who the hell she is. But Mr. President, can I I ask you, given your recounting your version... I don't know who... And and I tell you this. But Mr. President, can I you ready? And I swear on my children, which I never do... I have no idea who this woman... This is a fake story. Very hard to listen to Donald Trump uh, spout that out, uh, given the verdict, uh, guilty verdict, of him sexually abusing E. Jean Carroll. Uh, As the trial ended, uh, E.J. spoke to Donald Trump's solicitor, Joe Takapina. Joe Takapina is very likeable. He's sort of like an 18th century strutting peacock. And he's, people like him. So when he sticks out his hand to congratulate, first he congratulated Robbie, and then he was congratulating people on the team. And as I put my hand forward, I said, he did it, and you know it. And then we shook hands, and I passed on. Did he say anything in response? No, he, he's, a, he's a hail fellow well met. He went on shaking hands and smiling. How could anybody not believe uh, this woman? This is E. Jean Carroll, uh, who won, if you like. Uh, The rape uh, claim was dismissed, uh, but Trump found guilty of sexually assaulting her, and she's been speaking uh, about what that meant to her. There are no words. There are no words. I just now saw the headlines. Um, We are, I'm really sort of um, uh, taking in the moment and the overwhelming flood of a lot of hate, that's part of it, uh, but an overwhelming amount of relief and joy and, and at, the feeling of at last and the, uh, uh, the surge of, there's a 
sort of a feeling of victory that at last somebody has held him accountable in a courtroom, thanks to Robbie Kaplan. So it's, this, it's such a, a mash of overwhelming emotions. It's hard to put into words. Okay, those words uh, from E. Jean Carroll, uh, the victim in that case uh, that uh, Donald Trump uh, was found guilty of by a jury of nine people to have sexually assaulted. That's our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie.